You're listening to Something Real, connecting the reality of God to the realities of life. On this week's Something to Talk About, we are going over the provision, continuing in our Advent series. Uh, Last week, we talked about the promise and how we can have hope in God's promises because he always keeps them. Uh, Before that, we talked about our problem of sin. So this week's uh, discussion on the provision is the fulfillment of, of God's promise to us and how we respond to that. So hope you guys enjoy. We are ready for the professional podcasting that we always are. T-shirts are next with that. Yes. Okay, we are still in the Advent season. I apologize in advance for my voice. You sound, you sound pretty <laughs> Do normal. I sound yeah. okay? All right. I feel you sound like, as wonderful as always. I feel like there's like a millimeter of space going on in my throat. So, right now, so. You're, you're playing through pain. Yes, I'm yeah. here for you. I like All it. of you, not just you. I like it. You can quarterback my team. That's good. So. Yay. Anyway, let's talk about something you, other than Russell my... Wilson. Russell Wilson. Yeah, I like Russell Wilson. Um, Seahawks quarterback. Seahawks. Did he play for Notre Dame? No. He did not. He played for Wisconsin oh. in a junior college. Somebody on the Seahawks played for Notre Dame. Golden Tate. Yeah, he's actually with the Giants now, but oh. I've always liked Golden Tate. I mean, you can't not like somebody with the name Golden Tate. I'm saying. Anyway, let's John talk Golden. about Jesus. He does not play for the Seahawks, although not. Russell Wilson does love Jesus. So there's does he? Well, I yeah. think that's why you should like Russell Wilson. So does Drew Brees, who actually um, I do like passed Drew Brees. Uh, Peyton Manning's record for touchdowns last night. Tom Brady's still chasing him, not too far behind. but I'm not a big Tom Brady fan. Well, he... Uh, He's, have you ever seen his diet? Like it's, where he posts his diet plan online. That's just too crazy for me. Too crazy. It's like he eats it's like very, a very handful of beans every day, and that's it. Yeah, he's super disciplined and regimented, and that's great. It's working well for him. I can't him. wait till he retires and then just gains like a hundred pounds. It's gonna look like what's the the uh, Scottish dude from the uh, from was it uh, the Mike Myers movie? Oh yeah, so. he's got a bad name, so I'm not gonna say. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, now I remember that. Now opened anyway, up that can of worms. Yeah, let's talk about Jesus. Let's move <laughs> off of that topic. Let's talk about else. Jesus. We're in the third week of our Advent season, uh, and this week, this last week, we talked about the provision because last week, um, well, I, let's go back to the first week because the big problem here, uh-oh, we have a lot of sin, <laughs> yeah. and there's nothing we can do to take care of it. Yeah. And so last week, two weeks ago, we focused on these promises that God keeps, always keeps. And then this last week, I feel like we focused on what this particular promise was. Yeah. And so as we're looking at, at all of this coming together, you know, you pointed out that we have a lot of sin. <laughs> and <laughs> we do. And, and, and we've just been talking about some of the implications of that, or the manifestations of that in our own world today. And mm-hmm. even things like controversy over... Uh, commercials on Hallmark Channel, or, or you know, the the attacks against Chick Fil A for their for really what what is personal um, personal religious beliefs, mm-hmm. but and Hobby Lobby's been under fire before. Right, so you're going to see all of these. Uh, there's this major major conflict of worldviews, and the reality is the Christian worldview is the minority. Mm-hmm. It's I was going to say by design. That's not really what I want to say. But because of the, the, the nature of the pervasive nature of sin in the world, the, the Judeo-Christian worldview, specifically the, the Christian biblical worldview, 
is an anomaly in our world because our natural state is anti-God. That's, mm -hmm. that's the natural state of man. We are created in his image, so we have eternity set in our hearts, but we don't really fathom what God's doing from beginning to end. And so it requires something outside of us to correct what is wrong inside of us. Therefore, our sin problem isn't just that there's so much sin, it's that there is any sin. Any sin at all separates us from God. So the moment sin enters, everything is destroyed. Mm -hmm. It's innately, ontologically destroyed because that sin separates us from the giver of life. Therefore, death, decay, destruction, is that's normal for us. All of the negative emotions that come, fear, uh, anger, you know, anxiety about the unknown, uh, jealousy, lust, all these different things that take us down as, are essentially us uh, struggling with and, and succumbing to our natural, so to speak, urges, but our natural selves have been corrupted by the problem of sin. Right. So sin and its nature is progressive and pervasive. So every part of us is stained by sin. That's the doctrine of total depravity, and we see that throughout the scriptures. But uh, really, brought, Paul brings it out pretty clearly in Romans and some other places. But but we really see this idea that there's no part of us that isn't affected by it. It's not that we aren't that that we're all as evil as we could be. We could be certainly more evil, and we right. see that increasing in in so many different ways. Uh, as, We've mentioned before, throughout human history, there's always been uh, fornication, mm -hmm. uh, sexual sin, homosexuality has always been present. And we tend but to think it, we tend to think like this generation or this time period is like the worst it's ever been, and but it's just different. It's different, and and where it becomes worse, where it becomes different, is this is one of the cycles, and right. the first time in American history, but one of the cycles where. Um, it, it's unusual for sin to be seen as good and okay. Mm -hmm. And there have there are pockets of history where we see that. There are pockets of culture where we see that. It's the first time in American history where people would look at it and promote it, especially within the church. And that's right. where the danger comes. Anyway, we're getting a little bit off. The, the idea with sin is that one little drop of sin devastates everything. Mm -hmm. But it's not just that. We have a sin nature that we've inherited. But it's not just that. We also have sinful choices. So uh, when, when the Bible says that we're dead in transgressions, that's more than just dead in our original nature of sin. That's also dead in our own choices, that we break the law ourselves. Mm -hmm. So that, that pervasive increase, you know, we see that in end times that, that, that we're going to have more and more people who are, uh, who are uh, God-haters, who are living... Uh, to please themselves, who are inventing ways to sin. And, and man, we see that all the time. We, we create new methods of, of violating mm -hmm, things, mm -hmm. and that's going to continue to increase. And the only thing that influences us away from that is the influence of the church. That's We'll talk about that in our Acts series in 2020. But as we're looking at, at the problem of sin, it's, it's unfixable for ourselves. We can't fix it because we're corrupted by it. Therefore, as Romans 8 says, our our sinful nature, our sinful mind doesn't submit to God. It's hostile to God. Mm -hmm. In fact, it can't submit to God. It requires God to snatch us out of ourselves in order for us to submit to him, for us to, to even repent. <clears throat> well, 
God from the beginning promised that he would send, since we can't fix it ourselves, he would send one from outside of us to fix what is inside of us. That the, the serpent's influence, the, the impact of the devil uh, would be countered, would be reversed. The curse itself would be reversed and the seed of the woman would then crush the serpent's head. And we see throughout the, the Old Testament those promises of Messiah to come and do just that, to set things right, to reconcile all things to God. And uh, the book of Ephesians talks quite a bit uh, in the first three chapters about this reconciliation that takes place because of Christ, because of the redemption we have through his blood, because of the, uh, the, the just unbelievable, outrageous lavishing of grace that God gives to us in Christ, he has in Christ reconciled us to himself and therefore in this intervening time between the inauguration of the kingdom and the consummation of his kingdom which we'll talk about next uh, next week we see this this role that we have because God has provided a way for us to be made right with him mm -hmm. our role then is to reconcile to help others to call others to this reconciliation uh, Paul calls that the ministry of reconciliation, that we are then reconciling others to God in Christ. So as we look at what that means, you know, we focused a little bit as our memory verse from, from yesterday, Ephesians 1, 7. I was just going over this with my daughter in the car, and we were walking through this theology of, of redemption with my 13-year-old. Nothing gives me greater joy than to be able to talk with my with my middle school daughter on the way to school as we're talking through implications of the substitutionary atonement and propitiation of Christ. Uh, <clears throat> it's, these are, our conversations have changed since, you know, first and second grade, you know, different. You're talking about propitiation. It's a little bit different. Um, but as we're, as we're going through this whole idea, we see in Ephesians 1-7 exactly what the nature of Christmas is all about. In fact, on my way in today, I was listening to a, a poem, and I should have gotten the information, but it's from a, a podcast. I'm going to plug a podcast uh, from 1517.com. Uh, it's uh, This Day in Christian History or the Christian the Christian History Almanac, I think is what okay. it's called. Um, and, and these guys are just going through every day. It's a short little five-minute podcast or whatever it is talking about you know, different, Something that happened. Yeah, you know, different saints and so on. And they always end with a poem or a reading um, from some point in Christian history. And, and the one that they were reading today, and I do not remember the, the poet, was um, <laughs> as if it was the, the concept of it was exploring the fact that we treat Christmas as if the manger is all there was, as if the mm -hmm. infancy of Christ is all. That's everything. That's the point of Christmas. And, and we do. But it isn't. The point of Christmas is the gospel. It's not that we have this wonderful Hallmark Channel story right. of a baby in a manger and, and let's focus in on Mary's feelings and Joseph's feelings. There's a reason the Bible doesn't tell us much about their feelings. Right. We, can, we can surmise some things. There are some things that it tells us about their feelings that are very specific. But we spend so much time on the infancy narratives that are a tiny, tiny portion of what's going on because that's part of the story, but the overarching story is God's great story of redemption, that he created us, we fell, he is now restoring and redeeming his people so that in the end, when the consummation comes, when the kingdom is in its fullness, 
that we can be on his side rather than under his judgment. It's funny because, you know, when we when we talk about Christmas and the Christmas story and we do focus on, you know, the beautiful picture of, you know, the little manger and the, the star shining down into the stable yeah. and whatever, that makes you feel good. Yeah. And you can sing songs about it and whatever. But, it's for beautiful pr- Christmas cards right. and all that stuff. But really, that's such a small piece of why you should feel good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and we f- put so much focus on that. And you could, the the news itself is so much better than that, mm. the, than, the, than the idealistic picture yeah. of this little baby. I, I was looking at some Christmas cards at the farm store the other day, and there was one that I thought was just, just a beautiful, you know, rural scene and uh, really fit, you know, the what I wanted to, to have in a Christmas card. I don't generally send a lot of Christmas cards, but I liked it, and I, so I wanted to do that. Uh, in fact, I don't think we've sent Christmas cards in many years because we're kind of busy during the Advent season. Anyhow, I'm looking at it and, and reading, and it, and it kind of quotes from Luke 2 in, the, in um, the angel's declaration of this peace, goodwill to, uh, toward men on whom his favor rests, but it tweaks it. And it makes it this universalist idea that because of Christmas, it's goodwill for everybody. It's mm-hmm. peace for everybody. It's joy for everybody. But that's not in any way the message of the, of the gospel. That's not the message even of the, the Christmas narrative. That good news for that Christ came to save us from our sins is available to all people. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that all people will find joy in that. In fact, Jesus himself said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword, to bring division. Truth divides. And as Jesus comes, he's inaugurating the kingdom, saying, okay, the kingdom is coming. The kingdom of God is at hand. There will be judgment. And he goes hard. Jesus goes hard on judgment stuff. This is mercy is offered now. Right. So the fact that Jesus came, this is the joy of Christmas, that, that Jesus came to pay what we owed because no one else could. We couldn't pay for our own sin. Right. Our, our sin debt was unpayable. It, it keeps us from God. It separates us from life itself, from reality, from our reason for existing. And God promised that he would send his Messiah, his Christ, his anointed one, to take that sin away. And even goes so far in the Old Testament to describe that, that this great king who would be the forever king, who would rule, and we see in the book of Revelation that he is ruling, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit next week. But this, this great and glorious king of all kings first comes as a suffering servant. Right. Isaiah 53 goes into great de- detail about that. And it's not the only place, but that's the one that I read Sunday, so we'll you know, talk about that today. Uh, but as we look at Isaiah 53, there's this, this power in recognizing that he's not what we expected. He's not what, what right. we want, the, the Superman figure. Yeah, I think you've talked the, about that before, like this big, you know, hero. We'll see comparisons. Our depiction of yeah, that. Yeah, we see comparisons a lot of times between the pagan, uh, the, the, the pagan god-man uh, myths that are out there, the, mm-hmm. the Hercules, Heracles myth and so on where you have this demigod sort of situation right. um, and people say oh you know Christians are just you know it's just another one of those there really isn't it's not like that for one thing God doesn't God does not appear God is not equal he is entirely other he doesn't lose his deity he doesn't come uh, as this superhero figure mm-hmm. you know it's not like Dwayne the Rock Johnson or, or Chris Hemsworth or somebody that's coming in and and wow look at them they're awesome right. I'm gonna follow this great champion he comes in riding on a donkey he comes in you know humble 
and, and specifically not the great hero look, not the great hero type. And he suffers and he takes on our sin and he dies for our sin as our provision in our place. Uh, and, and one of the verses that's become a favorite to me over the last 15 years is, is 2 Corinthians 5.21, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that Jesus didn't have any sin, so he borrowed mine so that he could die and face the rejection of the Father. This utter rejection, <clears throat> the, the, the idea of uh, the Old Testament uh, word that, that uh, cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree, it's not that there's some special mystical curse that follows along with that, right. but the nature of this is you are seeing the ultimate rejection of God. Mm -hmm. And here's Christ hanging on a tree for me, facing the ultimate rejection of God that my sin has earned. The wages of sin is death. My, what my sin has earned is separation from God, separation from the giver of life, eternal damnation. That's me. That's mine. And, and Jesus says in John 3 that, that God loved the world so much that he gave his son so that anybody who believes in him doesn't have to perish. Mm -hmm. He didn't come, the son didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. However, and we often don't get to verse 18, but he says, you know, for those who don't believe, they stand condemned already mm -hmm. because they haven't believed. Our default state because of our sin is damnation separation from God, that, that there is no hope. So the idea that, that we should all just have this moral improvement, that if we, you know, if we get everybody more money, you know, we redistribute wealth, redistribute wealth, if we uh, create more capital, if we, if we just get the processes of economics going, or if we get more education to more people, and, and we can lift them out of poverty, and if we do all of these things, then we won't have sin and we'll, we'll somehow be better. That completely misses the point on every level. And without going into it too much, that would maybe make more sense if there was any historical accuracy there. If we had ever seen that ever work at any time throughout human history, right. we do not. Right. If, there were, if there were an example of people who are poor, therefore they're wicked because right. of their poverty, and then they're rich, therefore they're not wicked anymore. They only do good and righteous and holy things. Again, this is kind of the opposite concept of, right. of, of what all of those worldviews would promote, right. that, that the rich are wicked and the poor are. So if that's the case, then we should keep everybody poor, logically. <laughs> anyway, the, the problem is in us. The from, the moment, of, from the moment we're born. Exactly. And, and so, so since the problem is in us and God's promise is outside of us to bring us to himself, that the the provision that God makes is also external to us. The mm -hmm. provision that that sets us right with God, that justifies us, as Luther would say, our, our justification is entirely external. It's from outside of us, but it doesn't become ours until it affects us internally. That which happens externally then changes us internally, sets us right with God. Jesus, again, Second Corinthians five twenty one, he didn't have any sin, right. so he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. In Romans 3, 20, 23, we see that everybody's fallen short of the glory of God. Mm -hmm. But in the next couple of verses after that, we see that God has made Jesus a sacrifice of atonement for us, the propitiation of our sins, the, the appeasement of God's righteous wrath, 
And that's, that's why I like to throw out that propitiation word as often as I can, because we don't think about that much. We, we think of Jesus wiping away our sin, covering it up. God forgives us. God forgives us. God forgives us. And we love that. But if God just forgives us, then he is not the just and holy God that is revealed in Scripture. Right. Because if you forgive sin, you know, if we let criminals just get away with stuff, that's not justice. And we know that. And our hearts cry out for justice. Well, that's the image of God in us crying out for justice. So how can a holy God be just and forgive sin? He can't. You can't be just and merciful at the same time. Hmm. So for sin to be forgiven and justice to be served, it has to be paid for. Jesus is the provision for us. He comes and pays in our place. He pays our penalty, our unpayable sin debt. He takes that all away as a proxy for us. He's the substitutionary atonement. He, he takes that sin on. And because he does that, then God can be both just in upholding his righteous standard and also the one who justifies because of his loving mercy. He does both as the penalty is paid for us. So because of that, because of this whole promise, then everything changes. And that's why it can be good news that brings peace for all. The goodwill from God toward, toward those on whom his favor rests. It's all grace. It's all God. So what was the point of sacrifices before Jesus, of animal sacrifices? I realize it was to, to atone for your sins, but immediately after you're going to sin again. And, yeah, you know, so, I mean, and that's where the book of Hebrews really clarifies that, that, that there was no way that that was ever going to clear a conscience right, from sin. Right. It wasn't going to take it away. Right. It's just not going to permanently forgive it. But it was a, uh, Paul calls it an instructor, a tutor uh, for us. All that was written in the past was written for us as an instructor. And so uh, Hebrews says it's a shadow of the, of the good things. Those former things were a shadow of the realities. They weren't the realities themselves. In Christ, we see the reality come to pass. So all right. of the ancient sacrificial system in the Old Testament is pointing forward to Christ. It's a type of Christ. Because they would say, you know, bring your perfect lamb or your perfect goat right. or your perfect whatever. Yeah, a blemished a, a blemished animal does not count for the sacrifice. Right. right. And on top of that, uh, and God makes this clear in the prophets later, the sacrifice itself isn't enough. It has to be applied by faith. Right. So the animal dying is one thing. The the faith of the one offering the sacrifice is another thing. Well, but so ultimately, then you think about Jesus in that in that regard, right. the faith of... Well, so his, his willing offering, also our faith-filled, our, our faith-based application of that. He pays for the gift. Mm -hmm. We have to receive it and, and unwrap the gift. Right. But ultimately, in the, in the Old Testament system, as today, it's God doing the forgiving. Mm -hmm. In the Old Testament system, and this is what, uh, what is alluded to in, from, you know, Paul says this, the writer of Hebrews says this, the, the picture that we have is that God, in his forbearance, allowed those sins through the sacrificial system to go unpunished. Mm -hmm. They were, it was delaying it. It was basically, you know, holding it over as a temporary means as God forgives the sin, but you're still sinning again. Right. So it's not permanently undoing right, it. Right, right. You're, you're, you're working that out. And as we look at it now, in hindsight, more than what they could see at the time, it was developing over and over again. You're seeing the picture throughout Israel's history developing that, wait a minute, I can't get right. right. There's no way for me to fix this. Right. Which is why Paul says, having, having been the best there was at trying right. to justify oneself through the law, it's like, nobody can be justified by the law. Now, 
conceptually, as we look at this, and this falls more into, I guess, a systematic theology, but as we look at how this develops in the Scripture, it, Jesus says, if you kept every part of the law perfectly, you would live. Well, who does that? Right. So once I violated the law, now I can't get back from that. I can't be justified for what I've done already mm -hmm. by what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. I can't stack up good parts of the law to undo my violation. Paul goes so far as to say, if you violated one part, you're guilty of violating every part. Right. There's, there's no hope for you, except for one who has not done this, takes it on himself. One who's gone through everything just as we have, takes that on himself and then suffers in our place to remove that, to pay that penalty, making peace with God by reconciling us to him, appeasing his just, deserved, earned wrath toward us that he's pouring out on, uh, on mankind. And even in this, God is holding back his wrath. It's right, being poured right. out on, on humankind, but it's very clear that the day will come when he will no longer hold back. He'll remove that restraint and the fullness of his wrath is poured out that purges everything that is not perfect. Mm -hmm. Therefore, those of us who are in Christ are made perfect in Christ. Mm -hmm. You and I both know we're not perfect, right? Preach. Everybody listening, if they're awake and paying attention, knows that they're not perfect. Right. So that And they means, know we're not perfect. <laughs> <laughs> there's no question that they know that if they've listened at all. The, the reality is all of us that are not perfect, anything that is less than God is going right. to be destroyed. That, that's the way it works. So when he sets everything right, the only way for things to be right is for anything imperfect to be removed, mm -hmm. to be destroyed. That which is outside of God will then face destruction. But Christ is perfect, and we're in Christ. So because we're in Christ, we are now children of God. John 1, 12 says, as many as received him, to them he gives the right to become his children. We see in Ephesians, and, and we see in Romans, and we see in... Uh, Galatians says the same thing. We see this picture of adoption, that we are co-heirs with Christ. Right. We, everything that's true of him spiritually is true of us spiritually. Right. So in him, we are no longer subject to death and, and condemnation. Uh, Romans 8.1, there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the power of it. You said something the other day on Sunday that, you know, in regards to that, it's not that, you know, Jesus gets all this and we get portions of this, this, this. We yeah. are... His children, yeah. God's children, with Jesus, and you know I. Uh, yeah, that phrase of being co-heirs right, is, is significant. That's important. It's not that's, just heirs. It's not like it's divvied up. And, right. You know, we, we get. You're a the youngest, so you get whatever. Right. It's, uh, that's the that's the world system. Right. That's the Old Testament system that we would see. The firstborn gets the birthrights, and everybody else gets their pieces of it, but it's less. We're co-heirs right. with Christ. So everything that Jesus inherits spiritually, we inherit in him. That's, that's hard in, from our worldly perspective to really grasp because it's not what we're used to. I, was, um, <clears throat> I had to write an article the other day for uh, a, a website, and I was doing some research, and it was um, uh, this woman who uh, was going through a divorce. And I'm going through a divorce. Mm -hmm. And um, there have been plenty of times where I have thought well i'm just it was nervous laughter not <laughs> not entertained yeah. laughter um that was awkward it's not laughter. that divorce is funny it's <laughs> that hilarious. you were uncomfortable saying um it. there have been plenty of times throughout this process where i've i've thought this is too much i'm i've, I've gone too far god's not gonna forgive yeah. me and so i was reading another article about it as as research um and this woman said and and i might have worded it differently than she did but she said something to the effect of when god looks at you he sees jesus right 
And that was this blanket of comfort for me <laughs> that that I and I, I felt like we were kind of touching on that on Sunday that this 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 provision of Jesus makes us it's very hard for me to say equal to him but yeah. but in God's eyes when because we, we're in him right so what to, to see uh, somebody worded something along this line that because we're in Christ to look upon us God has to look through Christ right because we're in Christ right so in in looking toward us looking at us that's how he would see Christ now again all these pictures all these right, you know, right. they're limited by our language sure. and our intellect but if it helps us to understand that accurately that that's what we want we want to be able to understand God's word faithfully and mm -hmm, accurately mm -hmm. and that's the solution to all of our anxiety and fear and, and jealousy all these different things that we wrestle with the better we know him not not seeking to get something from him but just to know him mm -hmm. and the more we choose to cherish him mm -hmm. the, the the priority the the primacy of Christ becomes so much more important to us than getting our life right. right. And, and you and I have talked about that a lot over mm -hmm. the last couple of years. This, When it's no longer about, you know, hey, I'm going to go to church so that I can fix my marriage. Right. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to come to church so that my kids will behave better right. or I can feel better about myself or I can deal with my bad habits or I can whatever. And it just becomes a matter of, to, to steal from John Piper, desiring God. Mm -hmm. I just want Jesus. And I, I choose to see him as more precious than all of these things, more precious than my assurance of his presence with me. Mm -hmm. when, when recognizing that who he is is more important than how I feel about who he is or about who I am or anything else, that's when everything else starts to fade away. And it doesn't just come, you know, we have this picture a lot of times of this big rush of emotion and right. so on. That's very seldom in reality the case. And anything that tends to come to us quickly and emotionally tends to fade just as quickly with just as big a right. slam going right. down as it had coming up. Right. And so that's why God doesn't operate that way very often. Very seldom do, do the big, miraculous, mystical things have a lasting impact. Even in the life of Christ, when he did signs, those signs were not sustained. He didn't, he didn't heal everybody all the time. Right. He didn't, uh, you know, the people didn't get saved because of the signs. Right. They affirmed who he was, but the same people who were marveling at the signs we're also shouting for his crucifixion. Right. Herod was so excited to see the miracles of Jesus. He wanted Jesus to basically do you a know, magic do, show. Do, right. right, do a show for him. Herod wanted a piece of that. He want, mm -hmm. We so often do that in our response because we fail to recognize that God is so holy that my mind can't fully fathom it. Mm -hmm. And the moment I begin to fathom it, then the immediate reaction of everybody who encounters encounters the Lord personally in Scripture every time is absolute abject fear. Right. This is a holy God, and I am not. So I'm face down like Isaiah, woe to me. I'm ruined, for I am a sinful person, a, a, a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips, and I've seen God. Mm -hmm. That's the reaction that we start with in fear. And then when God removes, he makes provision for our sin. And that in Isaiah 6, the, what I just alluded to, he has an angel take a coal from the altar to purge his lips. Now, there's a lot that goes into that. So the response of Isaiah is, 
his, God's kindness to me and removing my sin is overwhelming. So I no longer care about anything else. Mm -hmm. This is no longer about me. And oh my goodness, I feel so much better now. I've had all my sins removed. Right. I, my, my guilty conscience is removed. No, let me serve you. Let me be the one to go and tell the rest. I will be your mouthpiece. It no longer matters what happens to me. I don't care about anything else, just Jesus. That's the response when we begin to encounter this. But understand also, coal on your a hot burning coal on your lips is not a pleasant experience. You're not gonna feel good. It, it is a painful experience. Well, Jesus took the punishment for our sin, but we still live in a fallen world mm -hmm. where suffering is our norm. Peter said in his letter that Jesus, in his suffering, left an example for us to follow. Right. Paul says, Peter says, uh, you know, Jesus himself says that if we're going to follow him, the path of discipleship, the path of the Christ follower, always, always, always involves suffering in this world. It involves persecution in this world. It, it involves letting go of everything else to take hold of him. That, that's it. If I don't do that, then I don't get it yet. Right. And I'm going to continue to experience the life of an unbeliever, even as a saved person. If I, if I get it, enough, however that shakes out, and, and different people can debate that theologically, uh, I have some very specific things that I would say if we were talking about that. But however that shakes out, if I'm saved, but I still live as if this world matters, mm -hmm. as if this world is important, and I have to cling to this life, that's where so many of these negative emotions come, my own right. blocked goals, right. my own anxiety about the unknown, that comes from me finding myself here rather than finding myself in him. As Paul would say, to my, for me, everything now is Christ. Mm -hmm. Once I found Christ to be precious, then the rest, it just doesn't matter anymore. Life, if, if I have any life at all, whatever that is, it's only about Christ. And when this life goes away, great. Now I get the fullness of Christ. Mm -hmm. I get to see him face to face. I'm not losing anything. Mm -hmm. To borrow from the great theologian Elton John, it's no sacrifice at all. As we're going forward with this, that was specifically for you to Thank get you. a pop culture reference in there. As we go forward, close. as we go forward in him, the the more tightly we cling to him, not looking for him to fix my stuff, but just I don't care about my stuff. I don't care how I feel. I don't care if I'm miserable. I don't care if I'm, you know, Fanny Crosby. I don't care if I'm blind. If I had my sight, I couldn't see him as clearly as I do now. Mm -hmm. That's the attitude. And it really is about attitude, not about feelings, about attitude. The chosen thoughts and beliefs that I cling to, to recognize this is reality and my experience is irrelevant to the reality of that. So I need to align my thoughts, my thinking with the truth so that my experience then learns how to line itself up with reality. Whew. Well, we will stop there. We're over time. <coughs> Big surprise. But we'll stop there for today. Uh, so join us next week. It's our last week of Advent. Yes, it is. That went by fast. Yes, it did. It's very exciting. <laughs> that's why that's why Hallmark starts Christmas movies in October because otherwise it <laughs> goes by so and fast. That's why I've finally given in to, I used to really hold 
fast to, you know, I'm only listening to Christmas music after Thanksgiving. I can't get it all in now right. if I start in October. Right. I mean, I could listen to it year-round and not get enough of it. Right. And the the reality of, especially when we see the gospel in the Advent, I'm going to start a whole new podcast here. <laughs> when we see the gospel as the center of the Advent, then all of these Christmas songs that, mm-hmm. while I might love them, I love the White Christmas and all, right, all right. those kinds of things. But when I see, you know, one of my favorite Gaither songs, two, two of my favorite Gaither Christmas songs, one is uh, Changed by a Baby Boy. When I, when I see that as more than a manger. If your mom's watching, I'm sure she'll say Powerful. I think we did uh, the other one at church last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Glorious Impossible. When we understand this this beauty, this power of this impossible thing that God does in us, through us, and out of his love for us, Mm -hmm. the focus can no longer be on us. It has right. to be on him. But anyway, that's another podcast. That's another podcast, but we're going to have one more podcast about uh, the last week of Advent here. Uh, and like you, I think you touched on it earlier, uh, going into the future and what we yeah. what we have been promised and what's... The perfection that's coming. Yeah. Perfection was the word I was looking yeah. for. There were, yeah, a lot we, of, there were a lot of P words. There, there were, and they happened to be up on banners I know, in front I should have looked at so that. My cheat, my cheat that. sheet. <laughs> All right, thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next time.